Hello, and welcome to my podcast where I discuss amongst myself any topic, event, or idea that interests me. And today I'm going to be talking about economic schools or modes of production, if you're familiar with the often Marxist dialectical term. So I'll start with asking what is economics? At its core, it's the movement of goods and services. The nodes, or interactive pieces within an economy, consist of producers and consumers. As a consumer, one seeks to acquire the needed items from producers. Producers will exchange goods with consumers because they themselves are also consumers. This concept between producers and consumers is nuanced to an extent, so I'd first like to deal with the concept of supply and demand. With most goods, supply and demand are inversely proportional. This means that when there is a large quantity of one item being traded, the amount people want it decreases. Inversely, as the supply of an item is scarce, the amount people want it and will pay for it or exchange for it increases. So I'd like to look into anthropology to see why this emerged. The beginnings of an economic system trace back to agrarian societies, a permanent settlement which produces crops or exploits land consistently is called an agrarian society. As many tribal societies in Mesopotamia, now modern-day Iraq and Iran, turned into agrarian societies because of ecological conditions, they no longer needed to spend their time foraging for food. Now, with surplus time and food on their hands, new roles in settlements emerged, like livestock raising, toolsmithing, and construction. In these early settlements of 100 to 500 people or thereabouts, resources were still most often shared because of the delicate survival situation the townspeople lived in. Universal sharing among individuals may have existed because in small settlements, there's only one source for most commodities, one fishmonger, one smith. Leaving or disrupting the system by trying to leverage oneself over others is too great a cost because it'll detriment the relationship you have with your townsfolk. The logic behind that is basically this. Imagine that I am a townsperson of an agrarian society. I'm currently relying on others directly to take care of me and my family. As long as I contribute to my settlement by doing my job or trade, I will receive the food, shelter, tools, etc. I need to live and take care of my family. Because this relationship with others in my settlement is almost familiar and very apparent to me, I need not rely on ancillary forces like money or a government to ensure that I get what I need and that they get what they need. This collective system is virtually guaranteed to work better than other forms of economy at this scale, as in, in an agrarian society where towns only consist of one to five hundred people, because there is no external force, like I said, money or government, needed to maintain balance or complicate things. It is just a sense of reliance or kinship amongst each other. Now that is the agrarian economic model. That's where we see the emergence of the economic relationships between people. Now I'm gonna go over the most notable economic models and theories throughout history and compare their attributes, objectives, and what they were like in practice. 
However, first I do need to preface the economic theories by continuing our story of history and talking about what happened after agrarianism and when settlements became cities and expanded into their surrounding regions and interact with other types of people. So from about 10,000 BCE to around 3000 BCE, we have the Neolithic Age, the first agrarian societies. Neolithic means after stone, after stone age. After all that, around 3 to 4000 BCE, we have the Bronze Age. Settlements became large, cities of thousands of people. To live in these cities, trade and barter was required. However, the simple exchange of goods agreed to be fair among neighbors was also gone because of the scale that the economy was operating at. This impersonal way of doing business necessitated the standardization and officialization of value for goods. To achieve this, tallying systems on carved bones and clay tablets were used to track exchanges. This was the first form of currency. Now, alongside cities becoming larger, the Bronze Age was also marked by the union of regional townships into kingdoms. Cities and their thousands of inhabitants worked together to exploit local resources and exchange them with each other. The large scale that goods and services were moving in meant that the supply and demand for many goods began to fluctuate between cities. A consumer, whether that be an individual or a city as a whole, may have an increased demand for a certain good or service. The seller or producer or provider of that particular item is then often motivated to increase their normal exchange rate to take advantage of increased demand based on geographical or personal reasons. The discrepancy between demands over a demographic or geographical landscape led to the formation of the second rule of economics, price discrimination. It was around the Bronze Age and a little bit after that people began to recognize that goods and commodities could be regulated and the dynamics of supply and demand alongside price discrimination, which is itself a product of supply and demand, can be dealt with in different ways and modulated. You can see historically that different nations throughout different economic and social periods have tried to deal with these forces in many ways. Civilizations of the Bronze Age were very centralized, with local economies producing goods to export to their capitals and leaders, and divided back between the provinces, usually by their kings. If the two aforementioned rules of economics are true, how did the rulers deal with them? Well, it became the ruler and their government's job to assess the demand for a product in his or her realm and instruct their workers to produce the right amount. Because of centralization, producers had no way of varying their prices between consumers. This state was both the consumer and the producer. Alongside many other factors, but in part because of this kind of centralization, the Bronze Age civilizations collapsed in around 1200 BCE. Although shrouded in some mystery, one reason why these civilizations collapsed was because, it is hypothesized, migrants arrived from Europe driven by war and famine to Mesopotamia where these Bronze Age civilizations were. The centralized states could not naturally cope with new people. Because wages did not exist, these people who, in the modern economic mode, would become cheap labor, did not get jobs. 
there became too many displaced mouths to feed who were not laboring for the state and producing food to carry their weight. And thus, the state's demand for goods vastly outgrew its ability to supply and it collapsed. As you can see, we've only just reached the classical age. And this has been mainly a long introduction, and I hope that it's done well to show the dynamics between the mode of living and economic policy. And while economics can seem often strained or artificial, and can sometimes look to be cutthroat or a struggle between order and chaos, remember that cooperation is the key to success in the economy. Connectedness matters. So this is just part one of I don't know how many. Uh, next time I will talk about the Greek and Roman economic paradigm and the emergence of economic theory and hopefully carry on from there into the Middle Ages and then into the Renaissance. Thank you for listening. Uh, that's all I have today, and goodbye.